Friends, this morning I ask you this question. Do you remember being baptized? Now, the beauty of the Presbyterian Church is that we are a diverse people who have come from many different faith traditions. Some of you have grown up Presbyterian your whole life, and others of you have come from many other traditions and have ended up in the Presbyterian Church and have been drawn by God together here. This means that we have many different experiences in the church, particularly when it comes to baptism. Some of you probably remember your baptism because you might have been baptized in a church that has a baptistry, or maybe you were baptized at a river or at a lake. But many of you would also say that you do not remember your baptism because you were probably baptized as an infant in the church, and maybe your parents have told you about it. Well, I have to tell you, I very clearly remember my baptism because it happened about three miles from this church on February the 26th, 1990, at Laurel Fork Baptist Church. I was 12 years old at the time. I had made a public profession of Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and baptism was the next step as an outward sign of my faith. And so I was dressed in all white, and I waited there at the baptistry for the Reverend Carson Eggers to invite me into the waters. As I walked into the baptistry, my body went into complete shock from the ice-cold water. Apparently, the water heater had broken that day, right in the dead of winter, and I was the lucky one to be able to get an ice-cold baptism. After wincing and shivering from the cold as he read the scriptures about being baptized, he then turned to me and asked me if I affirmed my faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Of course, I affirmed that before the whole congregation, and that is when he immersed me into the waters. Now, I have to tell you, the shock of the water caused me to come right back up and so quickly that I actually went right back down into the water and had to come up again. It's almost like I was baptized twice. I was like a fish flopping out of control. I'll never, ever forget that day. And I find, since I've been in the Presbyterian Church for over 20 years now, often pastors will ask their congregants to remember their baptism. And for some, I find that's a challenge, but it's never been a challenge for me. But even if you don't remember your baptism, I really think what's most important for all of us is to remember what it means and what it signifies in our spiritual lives. You see, today is Baptism of the Lord Sunday when we focus on the baptism of Jesus in the Jordan River and what that means for us. Now, if you read all of the Gospels, you will find an account of Jesus' baptism in all of them. But the Gospel of Mark begins with this significant event. He doesn't start with the birth narrative like Luke does or, or gives a long genealogy about where Jesus came from like Matthew, nor does he speak of Jesus as the divine word from the beginning like John. Instead, Mark begins writing this, "...the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet." Mark focuses on the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, who also happens to be the Son of God. 
Now the prophet Isaiah is linked to John the Baptist who was there to prepare the way for the Lord in the wilderness. And it's in the wilderness in which John the Baptist appears called by God to preach a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. John is truly preparing the way for the Lord as he preaches for God's people to repent of their sins and to be baptized in the waters. Now, repentance is simply acknowledging one's wrongdoing and feeling remorse for that and admitting the need for God's forgiveness. Repentance is not a passive thing. It's an active move away from the sin that has held us captive and turning away from it and turning towards God's mercy. Repentance requires humility, a contrite heart, and a submission to God's will and way in our lives. So John was faithful to preach the message, and many from the Judean countryside and even from Jerusalem came to him repenting of their sins, allowing John to baptize them in the waters of the Jordan River. You see, this immersion was a sign of God's promise to forgive their sins and to restore them to the way of righteousness. They entered into the water dirty and sinful and unclean, and they came up from the water cleansed and renewed. Now, John didn't use soap or uh, washing machine detergent to cleanse them. No, God was stirring the waters and doing something that no person could do for themselves. And yet, even as John baptized them, he told them this, After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John was already preparing the people for Jesus, the one who would baptize his people with the Spirit of God, claiming them as his own and empowering them to live as his faithful disciples. But little did he know that Jesus was already there, present in the crowd. Now, having just celebrated the Messiah's birth at Christmas, we've marveled once again at the humble way in which God entered into our world as an infant baby. Born to two peasants in a stable in Bethlehem, his arrival did not take place in a manner or way that the Jewish people expected the Messiah to come. And God's proclamation of his birth announcement was not shared with the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem, nor was it shared with the royal officials of Rome. Instead, God sent angels to shepherds in a field nearby watching sheep. And in doing so, the sky was illuminated with the heavenly host proclaiming the good news of Jesus' birth. But at the crest of the Jordan River, there's no angelic light show going on. We find no wise men from the east escorting Jesus to the front of the line. There's no crowds of followers causing a scene that would disrupt John's baptisms there in the river. No, Jesus stands in solidarity with the people of Israel, somewhat incognito as he patiently waits his turn to step into the waters with John. You see, Mark reveals a Jesus who's not above his people, one who comes to the waters in obedience to God, seeking to be baptized as a sign of God's claim on his life and his willfulness to live into God's call obediently. And while John is preaching a baptism 
of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, Jesus comes to participate not as a sinner in need of forgiveness, but as a fellow Israelite who enters into the same waters with those who are unclean as a sign of God's presence with his people. Jesus identifies with sinners and understands our sins. He doesn't run away from them, nor does he condemn those waiting in line for what they had done. He stands side by side with each and every one who comes in humility, confessing and seeking God's restoration. And when it's finally his turn to enter into the waters, to be baptized by John, something remarkable takes place. As he rose up out of the water, he saw the heavens being ripped apart and the Spirit of God descending upon him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Now Mark writes in a way that doesn't make it very clear whether or not everyone saw the Spirit come upon him or if everyone even heard the voice of God declaring him as his beloved son. Jesus certainly saw and heard these things, but we do not know if those around him did. And I'm not convinced that those at the Jordan didn't hear God's voice, for Jesus knew that he belonged to God, but they did not. God was making a clear statement that Jesus belonged to him. This is the beginning of the good news of his ministry that would declare God's reign and kingdom coming upon them, whether they were ready for it or not. So Mark wants to make it abundantly clear from the very beginning that Jesus is the Son of God and that this baptism is like no other. You see, in Scripture... The high priests and even the kings of Israel were anointed with oil, signifying that God's Spirit rested upon them. But Jesus is not anointed with oil. He's marked with water and the heavens are ripped apart, signifying the inbreaking of the Holy Spirit that rests permanently now upon him. He will not rule with a sword or travel by chariots into war, he will rule by establishing healing and reconciliation, forgiveness, comfort, and love. For the, Isaiah, for the prophet Isaiah proclaims this in Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 3. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom, for the captives and release from darkness for those uh, for, for the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes the oil of joy instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair they will be called oaks of righteousness a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. You see, this is the very scripture that Jesus reads in the synagogue in Nazareth in Luke's gospel, declaring that what they have just heard is fulfilled in their very hearing. In other words, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon him. He had received the spirit of God at his baptism. 
You see, in baptism, Jesus is washed by the water, receiving the anointing of the Holy Spirit to lead him to do the works of God. And it's Jesus who reminds his own disciples after his resurrection that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. And so he commands his disciples before his ascension into heaven saying this, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You see, our baptism matters because God claims us as his own and sends us out to declare his love and his grace to everyone. So I ask you once again, do you remember your baptism? And if you don't, it's okay. Because ultimately it doesn't matter if you remember it or not. Because what has transpired when you've entered into those waters, is not about what you have done. It's about God's claim in your life. It's not about how you are baptized, whether you are fully immersed or if you are sprinkled. It's about what takes place in baptism, the Spirit of God that is at work claiming you. If you don't remember your baptism, I'm sure that you've got your parents or others who can tell you about it. And even if you do remember your baptism, I think that's a wonderful thing. But it's important for us to know that it's not solely about your decision to be baptized, but it's about God's divine claim upon your life. Many of you have heard me do children's messages with the children about baptism, particularly when we baptize someone here in the church. And I've shared with them before that baptism and the water of baptism, this water, is like God's sharpie marker, marking us permanently as God's on, writing on our foreheads that we belong to Him. Our identity is no longer found in ourselves, but in the one who has created us and who has redeemed us, who has sustained us by the power of His Holy Spirit to be obedient disciples. You see, God is the actor in baptism, even in Jesus' baptism. It is God who speaks with all truth and authority as he reveals that Jesus is his son, whom he loves and whom he is well pleased. And Jesus' baptism is about his identity as God's son, who has obediently been washed by the waters, crossing the Jordan River, just like the Hebrews who finally entered into the promised land. But Jesus crosses the Jordan to infiltrate God's reign and kingdom into the land of Israel to declare God's claim on his people. And Jesus, anointed by the Holy Spirit, speaks God's truth, shares God's love, brings God's healing upon the brokenhearted. He gives good news to the poor, release for the captives, and comfort to all who mourn. And when you and I are baptized, when we are washed by the water, God is stirring the waters with his holy mystery of adopting us and engrafting us into the household and family of God by the power of his Holy Spirit. You and I become sons and daughters of the King of Kings, claimed and sealed as God's own, not because you and I are worthy or deserving of it, because of God's unconditional love that pursues us in Jesus Christ.
In baptism, God anoints us with his Holy Spirit so that we too may be obedient like Jesus to follow in God's ways and to participate in his kingdom reign in the world. You see, as the Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus, possessing him to do the good works of the Lord, so we too are possessed by the Holy Spirit, claimed, marked, chosen, and sent out to live faithfully as God's children. So as we remember our baptism on this Lord's Day, when we remember the Lord's baptism, I encourage you to remember what God has done in your life. That you have been claimed by God, washed in the waters. God has forgiven you of your sins, making you cling, restoring you to righteousness and claiming you as his sons and daughters to follow in all of his ways. And in baptism, while we are baptized individually, we are united by the power of the Holy Spirit into one family we call the Christian church. And the Christian church is called together by God to grow in the love of Christ and to share the good news so that all may trust and believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior, experiencing God's claim of their lives through the waters of baptism too, and being adopted into the household of the family of faith. And we are also called to serve the world in the name of the one who's claimed and called us into his love. So friends, today, as we remember the baptism of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. As we remember that God has baptized us, that he has stirred the waters, that we have been washed by those waters, claimed and sealed and marked as God's very own. May we be obedient and faithful to be led by the power of the Holy Spirit as God's beloved children to do the work and mission of God together in the world. Friends, may it be so this day and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.